How to train your dragon in three easy steps. Step one, critically wound your dragon. Step two, indoctrinate your dragon to depend on you for its survival. Step three, get the girl. Are you proud of me now, Dad? Hello, satirists, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Mokel, here with my cohorts and compatriots. Jack Olander here, your friendly bread-making Viking. Yeah, not everyone needs to be a dragon killer, you know? Yeah. Chelsea Hollowell here, maker of plus-size breastplates. Helpful. Glad we have accumulated some valuable skills. It'll be really helpful in the upcoming economic crash. Oh, no! (laughs) Because our economy is going to be destroyed by dragons. Oh, no. I've always known it. Unless we find a way to turn dragons into a profitable enterprise. It's true. And on that note, this week we watched 2010's How to Train Your Dragon, a DreamWorks joint by... Directors Chris Sanders and Dean Dubois, starring Jay Baruchel, Gerard Butler, America Ferreira, Craig Ferguson, and a bunch of comedians. <laughs> cool. Uh, yeah. Uh, cool. <laughs> who, who was in this, guys? We had Jonah Hill. We had Kristen Wiig, TJ Miller, somebody else whose name is escaping me right now. Oh, uh, McLovin. McLovin's in this movie. Uh, the kid who plays McLovin. Sounds to me like you just listed all the ones that I could have listed. <laughs> so, yeah. I think we've got them. Did you well, say Gerard Butler already? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Gerard Butler? Oh, there we go. <laughs> you can name them by their character names, though, Chelsea, which are much more interesting than the actors' names. I can? Oh. Sure. Fishlegs, Snotlout, Toughnut, Roughnut... Spittle loud? Spite loud. Yeah. I didn't bother keeping track. Fair. Um. <laughs> you heard the names of the filler characters? <laughs> I read them on Wikipedia. Yeah, yeah. Well, before we get too deep into this uh, shining gem of a animated feature, we should probably find out what happened in the movie. How? Oh, you mean like a summary? Uh, I don't know if I'd go that far, but in the vein of a summary. Maybe an abridged summary? A vague retelling of the plot in a humorous manner? I love it. Has that, ever been, has that ever been done before? Never. I love it. <laughs> okay, here we go. In How to Drain Your... <laughs> your Lizard. Um... <laughs> That's a good movie. <laughs> okay. In How to Train Your Dragon, Hiccup discovers his sexual awakening Wait, what? to his attraction to dragons. I thought he liked uh, wayfish blondes. Uh, he settles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He settles for a dragon. Yep. Yeah. No, here we are. 
in a Viking village. What's the name, Jack? Burke. Burke. That looks more like it's an island off of northern Scotland. Which makes sense, since uh, everybody in this Scandinavian village has a Scottish accent. Mm. Maybe that's how it works. You wish it was everyone. <laughs> Sorry. Most of the people. They're sheep, they're sheep herders and hunters and Vikings. Maybe I already said that. And... <laughs> They have an infestation of dragons. Oh, the worst kind of infestation. They're mortal enemies. They're supposed to maim and kill each other. And the way the gods intended. And Hiccup realizes that all he wants to do is love dragons. And he <laughs> figures that out one day after mortally wounding one. And oh, no. can't bring himself to kill it when he looks into its deep blue eyes. Fish-like? Green, veiny eyes. <laughs> they mostly just look like fish eyes to me. But that's because the dragons in this movie are a bizarre amalgamation of many other animals. <laughs> he begins a slow love affair of this captive creature who can't get away from him, whom he calls Toothless. It's one of the Night Stalkers or something like that. Oh, one God. of the most deadly creatures, apparently. And if you're just nice to them... And they can't get away from you or attack you and you give them fish, apparently they're gonna love you forever. Appropriate that this movie takes place in supposedly Scandinavia because there's a lot of Stockholm syndrome going on. Oh nice. Yeah. One part dog, part cat, another part fish, and a small smidgen of bat. Toothless is a winged salamander oh. that stole Hiccup's heart. That is true. And and everyone's heart. And leg. Hiccup is also a the blacksmith's apprentice, so he fashions a new tail wing thing for Toothless. Jack, what are these things called? A fin. A flipper. <laughs> a, Close enough. A half flipper that he has to control, so they become one symbiotic being. Wait, is this like that movie Pacific Rim? Oh, yeah. Where you need two pilots to control a... Uh, a kaiju. A kaiju. <laughs> no, not a kaiju, a mecha. Yeah, yeah. What do, you, what once, do they call those things? Yeah, once they figure Yeager. out... Once he creates this uh, fin, they realize that they are no longer two separate beings, but they have become one. And they can no longer live without each other. Would you say that there are two hearts that beat together? Yes. Well, now I feel like there needs to be saxophone in this scene. To Hiccup, this puts meaning into his life and gives him a reason to live. And for Toothless, who probably has a very majestic name in Dragon. It's Rogargal! That was beautiful. <laughs> and to him, it's just a, a burden he has to live with. A creature that lives on his back and feeds him. And he's dependent on to be able to fly and live. Eventually, we find out that all of the dragons that seem intimidating and scary are minuscule in comparison with the gargantuan dragon they feed every single day. And Hiccup convinces his other Viking and training friends, they're all teenagers, that they must join together with the dragons, not fight them, to go against the gargantuan dragon and defeat it once and for all to liberate the the lesser dragons. I like what I'm hearing. Yes. And eventually they also convince all of the adults after, you know, some minor abductions. 
and they all fight against the gargantuan dragon and Hiccup and Toothless save the day after an epic battle of fire and lightning in the sky and with some minor maiming to Hiccup himself. It's just a leg. It'll grow back. He's not missing much. And um, so in the end, they get to live happily ever after and... And Hiccup and Toothless no longer have to hide their love. Wait, yeah, they do, because don't Hiccup and Astrid get together? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, there's a there's a love subplot. We'll get into more of that later. <laughs> well, there's also the most important... Well, I guess there's multiple love subplots. One of them is the absentee love between a father and his son. Because throughout the movie, Hiccup is having a hard time convincing his father that he's worthy of the title Viking. That's true. His father, played by Gerard Butler. Well, that's the end of your summary. And we can get into more of all that stuff in the rest of the podcast. Well, speaking of the rest of the podcast, I guess it's time for the delve. Where we get deep into the plots, themes, and narratives of the film. So, guys. Since Vikings have to have um, intimidating or weird or gross names... To scare off elves and trolls and stuff, according to the lore of this movie. I figured we should start by giving ourselves some Viking names. Oh, what a good idea. I'll be fart ass, which <laughs> will scare off any trolls that come my way. Sounds good to me. Chelsea, how about you? I think he stole my name. <laughs> are you oh, supposed no. to describe how you are? <laughs> um... I don't know what my name should be. You need a, a good, solid, spooky Viking name. Something spooky? like something like Fishleg or Tough Nut. Um, Demon Glare. How about that? That oh, is pretty nice. scary. Because apparently, when I get mad, I have that ability, and grown men have run away from me. Oh, that's a really good name. When that happens, I I can't do it on command. <laughs> I, I've tried to do it in the mirror I have no idea what I look like But apparently it's pretty fucking scary Nice Well there you go, that'll turn a troll Yeah, yeah, I Sounds guess good. if it needs to describe me Mine should be like joint crack Joint crack's pretty good <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Or bone pop Ooh, bone pop, that sounds pretty cool Ooh, I would like to drink some bone pop <laughs> That sounds like a tasty beverage Is that like broth? Oh <laughs> no, <laughs> it's just carbonized broth Oh god Oh no Oh god we What about you, to... Jamie? <laughs> you know, I've been thinking long and hard about this one um, And I feel like the name that I really wanted to stick with was Snot Hammer Oh, nice <laughs> No one wants to get hit by that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No. No uh, dwarves will be bothering me with a name that like that. That is pretty intimidating. Right. Yeah. It's true. Even a glancing blow will get you sticky, and no one wants to be <laughs> sticky. So, guys, did this movie um, also bring up deep-seated father issues for you guys too? <laughs> yeah, Gerard Butler never recognized me as a son. <laughs> I know exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, that part was actually pretty real. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. The the harsh relationship between father and son was something you really related to? No, I just thought it was really believable. Relatable. Yeah. Stoic the Vast, that's Hiccup's dad. He had a lot of ideas of what Hiccup was supposed to be when Hiccup was born. Yeah, for a culture that worships a 
gender-fluid, wandering god of war and poetry, you'd really think that Stoic would have a more um, nuanced concept of gender identity, but he doesn't really seem to espouse the virtues of an Odin type. No, not really. Uh, I don't think he saw much war in Od- in uh, in Hiccup, which is kind of probably something he'd focus on a bit more. Because remember, when he was a, a young man, he headbutt a boulder and shattered it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. And Hiccup was looking for trolls when they went fishing. Uh, supposedly, Stoic doesn't believe they exist. Trolls, yes. Yeah, yeah. And at one point, we also see Stoic hand-to-hand fighting a dragon, which I was yeah. like, that is not the approach I would take, but... Yeah, you know, sometimes you gotta flex. <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah, I yeah I think he doesn't see a lot of himself in Hiccup is another thing that's disappointing to him. So in the beginning, when we first see the Vikings fighting off dragons that are trying to take away their sheep, make off with their sheep. The um, worst crime in Hiccup Viking is narrating. Society? Guess so, Burke Society. Hiccup is narrating over uh, the movie, and of course, this is a fantasy movie. But he's narrating what is happening in real time, shot for shot, to the audience itself, which breaks the fourth wall and basically acknowledges that he knows he's in a film. Or he thinks we're all Vikings. (laughs) Well, that's nice. We did name ourselves Viking names. Yeah. Oh, man, guys. But he introduces characters as they come onto the screen. You don't do that in uh, your day-to-day life? No. He explains the village structure and the different types of dragons as we see them when they're fighting them. And that's the only time there's narration in the entire film. But it sets it up from the beginning that, like, he's like some kind of meta character that knows he's in a movie. Nice. The original Deadpool. <laughs> um, so I just thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. He's this sort of god-like character, playing god. Trying to kill a Night Fury, which no one has ever done. Wait, do you think Hiccup might be Odin in disguise traveling uh, Midgard? I would love that so much. Oh, man. That would explain a lot. Yeah? It's possible. Yeah. He has a way with dragons. Yeah, it would, it would explain his like inherent ability to gain knowledge about uh, creatures vast and small in a short amount of time. Yeah. It would explain his reliance on cunning rather than uh, sheer strength. His poet's heart, I would say, Hiccup has. Definitely. Yeah, Yeah. he learns a lot about how dragons work by um, kind of showing empathy toward the Night Fury he calls Toothless and befriending him and finding out what he likes and doesn't like and what kind of incapacitates him in Mm. like a way where like basically like petting him in a certain way makes him like swoon over at one point. Oh, I don't like the sound of that either. And um, Hiccup realizes that dragons have like a vulnerability where if you scratch them like behind the ears, they'll just slump over in a blissful state. Yes. And um, so he uses that to his advantage. Yeah, let's talk about some of the dragon weaknesses. Yeah, like the scratching behind the ears. They're scared of eels, which that must be like some left... (laughs) You know, leftover thing from evolution. Do you think eels used to be dragons' natural predators? I would love that. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, because every dragon was scared of eels that we saw in this movie. Yeah. Dragons also have a tremendous amount of uh, body variation in this movie. I mean, like, 
more than like dogs have. Yeah, well, they're different species, I'm guessing. I guess. Yeah. But I yeah. mean, they, if they all come from like a single dragon ancestor, like, I mean, you know, again, much like dogs, but they, I, I think they run an even more uh, wild spectrum. Like, there's a two headed dragon. Yeah. Yeah. There are. Yeah, they can yeah. change in size, color, shape, like you said, ability. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, their magical powers yeah, change from one dragon to another. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of their vulnerabilities were uh, pretty similar. Yeah, they, it's true. You could also, like, create a large noise and it would blind them somehow. It was unclear. Yeah, they had the, like, worked. they got stunned by loud noise. Yeah, there was that. They chased down little light reflections. Like, oh, they were yeah. reflecting the light off, like, a hammer, and they would be chasing it. Like a cat would chase a red dot. Yeah, or and they liked this sort of grass that grew on the island that would knock them out also. Kind of like catnip. Yeah, exactly. I mean, dragons portrayed, like, in cat-like form or temperament is not uh, uncommon in a lot of fantasy fiction. Yeah, they were basically dragon cats. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so that's most of their vulnerabilities, and Hiccup learns that over time and uses it in his training. Yeah. Also, the dragons, right? There's an entire book about how terrible they are, about how they kill people and how awful they are. Written in runes. Yes, and... Every single description ends with extremely dangerous kill on sight. Oh, you're talking about the book in the movie. Yes. And the movie? When you get, huh? When they get to the Night Terror page, the description is an unholy abomination, an unholy union of lightning and death itself, or something along those lines. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was basically it. Yeah, and. Kind of like your mother in law, am I right? Oh! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but the thing is. The second hiccup is nice to any dragon he sees, it's just like, oh, and it forgets that they're rivals immediately. Which is like, even the ones that are, have like set themselves on fire, they're so smart. Because when hiccup tosses aside his weapons, they're like, oh, he's nice. Which means they're definitely like near human level intelligence. Yeah, they do <clears throat> seem to be sentient and able to uh, reason. Yeah, exactly. And most of them seem to be kind of like inherently good. Yeah. Because they give him a chance, right. even if they shouldn't. Yeah, but these dragons have a, an amazing capacity to forgive. Yeah. It's true. And you mentioned they're good aligned. The only bad aligned one that you also noticed while we were watching the movie, Jack, is the gargantuan one. Yeah. And this is a bit of a spoiler, but I've seen all three movies, and the only bad dragon, intentionally, consensually bad dragon. But yeah, there's we only ever see one bad dragon. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Which one? Oh, we saw it. It's the big one. You know, the huge one in this movie. What was its name? Oh, it doesn't have a name. That's oh, right. that's how evil it is. Yeah, that's right. Well, you know, I was really, like, for the whole beginning of the movie, you know, I was really just trying to figure out, this is a fantasy movie, right? So I was trying yeah. to figure out where is the class struggle. Did you find and it? And I was so glad when they finally introduced a giant dragon because yeah. that's what I saw. Yeah. That just like every other fantasy movie, How to Train Your Dragon is a giant metaphor for class struggle. Yeah. Because you see, there's this giant fat cat dragon. Yeah. Fat dragon, dragon. 
who is taking everything from all the other dragons, demanding yum, tribute yum, from yum. this lower class of dragons, mm -hmm. forcing them to give them, to, to feed it and make it grow as it becomes larger and larger. There's just a like, size-based society. Right. <laughs> yes. Well, that's true. But, you know, if you think about it in terms of economics, you know, there's many, many, many more lower-class dragons, mm -hmm. but they don't have the ability to control as much of the economic wealth, in this case food, that the largest dragon has. The 1%. Exactly. It's true. One dragon controls 99% of the food. Yes. And the other ones have to kind of eke out a painful existence. Yes. And, and then if they don't bring tribute that the big dragon likes, it eats them. Exactly. Yeah, it vores them even. One bite. Yes. So, I mean, obviously this movie is a scathing indictment of income disparity. Yeah, yeah. they have to rely on foreign influence and assassination in order to overthrow oppressive <laughs> dragons. it's the humans that help them. But they do band together. It's dragons and humans working together. Yeah. Right. So through uniting with other people in allies. similar... Yeah. Uniting with allies. Yeah. Similar groups of uh, individuals. I was going to say people, but, you know, most are... A chunk of them are dragons. Yeah. With others in your same kind of uh, struggle, mm -hmm. you're much more powerful. Yeah. United mm -hmm. against the 1%. Right. So, there's that. There it is. There it is. So, there's only, I gotta say, there's only one thing in this movie that I found incredibly unbelievable that really broke my immersion when it happened. I was disappointed. It happened at the very end of the movie. Yes. Because after Hiccup and his team of um, friends, I guess, and sure. dragons, defeat the giant fat dragon. And I don't mean, I'm not I'm not body shaming the dragon. I'm building off of the concept of the fat cat. Or the yes. expression, the fat cat. Yes. Right. So, the fat dragon, uh, they defeat it in a nuclear explosion, which is fine. Yeah, Obviously, yeah. completely, you know, suspension of disbelief maintained. Yeah, which they all survive. You know, and Stoic and Hiccup have been having this kind of, this, this um, inability to kind of see eye to eye on things. They don't communicate. They don't communicate well. But when Stoic thinks that Hiccup dies, he's sad and mourning him, which just completely tore me out of the movie. Why should he be disappointed that his son made it to Valhalla? <laughs> he, it's true. I mean, he, the whole time he's worried about his son not being a warrior. And obviously, to me, I'm like, okay, that means he's worried that he's not going to join Odin in his hall where Stoic is going to go. He's not. He's not. He's going to be separated from his son. And the sad reality is that to maintain a connection in the afterlife he he's unable to do this in you know in in the mortal world because he and his son have the this difference of opinion so he's kind of pushing his son away hoping that he'll become a warrior like himself and you know we can we can determine whether or not that's a, a positive or a negative uh, set of behaviors sure sure um, but I don't know why he's disappointed that his son died in battle. Maybe he thought that his son's life was overall so pathetic that one moment of heroism wasn't enough to redeem him in the hmm. end. That's possible. Because, you know, when they would criticize Hiccup, they would gesture to his entire being. <laughs> That was mean. Well, you know, matter what um, your belief system, I think that people will grieve. They just might show it in a different way. Mm -hmm. And um, even if it's not socially acceptable to openly weep, you're going to show dis or display grief in a particular way, you know. 
Um, so maybe if it's supposed to be a celebration, there's usually a brief period of mourning even before that um, in many cultures. Um, or the mourning might be done in private. Um, and then there are other cultures where mourning is communal. Um, Looking at midsummer on the shelf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, That's right. Shared, uh, empathetic so mourning. So even if you do have beliefs about the afterlife, I don't think that precludes feeling a sense of loss over hmm. not being able to physically see that loved one anymore. Luckily for him, though, he doesn't have to mourn very long. Yeah. Because Hiccup survives. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. He I just was, lost his I was life. joking that... So, uh, Toothless tried to shield Hiccup from the nuclear blast while they were falling through it. And, Which apparently um, worked. Because dragons are magic, I think it worked. They're fireproof. And, um, I thought it would... And there On was the a outside. lot of, like, um, wood flying around because there were old marooned ships on the island and the big gargantuan dragon was like throwing them around everywhere so i thought it would be funny if his dad tried to look inside the um night fury's wing toothless's wing as he lifted it up and he and toothless had thought he had caught hiccup but he was just holding on to a huge mast from oh. a ship that <laughs> the other dragon had thrown away I thought that would have been hilarious. Yes. And then he just does the horrified look as it fades to black. Yes, exactly. And that's <laughs> the end of the movie. That dragon. would have been like the dramatic end to the movie. Yeah. What a thwart. The, that's the rewriting just history. Just the horrified look on Toothless's face as he stares at Stoic. And they both are horrified together over the loss of Hiccup. Oh man, is our sequel concept going to be what Toothless does in the timeline where Hiccup is killed in the fight against the giant dragon and how he copes with everything following that? Hell yeah, let's yep. do it. We're going to do that in rewriting history. Oh well, man, that's brutal. Let's mourn Hiccup then by talking and about his character. Real quick. Real quick, at the end of this other movie, you have this, like, really um, dramatic violin and cello music playing over the dark screen. Oh, <laughs> You should be saving this for, for uh, rewriting history. Sorry, I just couldn't wait. I know, yeah. I guess. When you get excited about something, you gotta just ejaculate it out. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, we should talk about Hiccup, you're right, Jack. Yeah. yeah. What do you want to say? He's a nuanced character, I think. Mm -hmm. I, he's I have a good-hearted character. I have to admit, Hiccup kind of grows on you. He's... You know, you start the movie and it's kind of an annoying, whiny little shit. And then, yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. that's basically what he is throughout the movie. But, like, much like Stockholm Syndrome, he starts to grow on you. He accomplishes things, though. He does. You know? He does. I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah of when course. When you see that he has talents... <laughs> yeah. that can be used. It's true. Well, I, I like smart. that he's a character who, who relies on his cunning and intelligence. Yeah. To subdue the dragons to avoid fighting them and hurting them. That was something I liked. Yeah. I like the yeah. thing in that regard. I'd be something of a hiccup type. Yeah. I, I would rather yeah. befriend the dragons. I yeah, me do. too. I'd, I'd want to ride a Night Fury. Whenever Sounds we play D&D &D and we come across a wild animal, I'm always like... Just subdue it, and then we can befriend it, and it'll follow us around. Don't nice. kill it. <laughs> so, you speak with animal. I, yeah. I would totally be down with befriending dragons. Yeah. Expand the team. Also, yeah. they're different from other 
like wild animals because usually they're portrayed as intelligent beings. Well, yeah. yeah I mean, you can't really subdue a a dragon in D and D style, like a D and D style no, dragon who has like the intelligence enough to speak and reason and probably outthink almost anybody in your party except for your wizard, maybe. Yeah, like a supercomputer intelligence. <laughs> yeah, but within the world of the movie that we watch. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're a little more bestial in, in the film. Um, but they are still intelligent. Maybe more like a dolphin? They ha- Yeah, they have like a different type of intelligence. I'd say they're human-level intelligent, but like in a different way. Agreed. Maybe they're more like an octopus. I could see like it. Like an yeah. alien intelligence. Right. I think they're incomprehensible to us. Yeah. Yeah. It's could, different. That could sure. be a good way to describe it, sure. Well, also, they have hive mind because they answer to the strong ones. Oh, you well, didn't see that as I don't know if it's a hive mind as much as a. They, well, they that's have to, meta knowledge. It's more of a, of a. It seems like more of a hierarchy. It's true. Well, yeah, it's you true. You do kind of see the hive mind thing because before we saw any of the other dragons flying in formation when they were going to see the big dragon for the first time, uh, Toothless starts looking around and there's nothing there. But then he starts to fly in a different strata of the clouds and they're suddenly surrounded by a bunch of dragons. Like, oh. he knew they were there. I thought that was more of a, like, a sense, like a like a smell or something. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. That could be their hive mind sort of thing. Could be. Well, yeah, it I mean. It was some type of um, honing mechanism in their head. Like, he had some kind of thing that was vibrating in his head. Huh. That yeah, he used gills. to navigate something like that. Yeah, I must have missed that. His weird, like, axolotl fins would be flaring up on the back of his head in the direction <laughs> where he had to go. That's true. Which was interesting. Some kind of uh, draconic radar. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so we talked to, we briefly mentioned this before, but there was the forced romantic subplot in there, too. Yeah, I mean, that's, I'm glad you're bringing that up, because that kind of ties back to... Um, some of the themes and stuff that I thought we should get into. So why don't mm-hmm. you why don't you kick it off talking about that? So Hiccup, from the beginning, we learn that he's pining after another Viking youngling named Astrid, who is a badass female with no internal organs. Apparently, None. not by the way she was drawn. And um, she's a warrior woman, and he's drawn to her beauty and her strength. And Qualities she, that he does not seem to have. She thinks he is or less value. than dirt, I think, in the beginning. Yeah, she does not respect Hiccup. She dislikes Hiccup. She, she kind of vaguely dislikes him in the beginning of the film. Yeah. Towards about the middle of the film, after he's proven his prowess in the training ring... After gaining all this knowledge about dragons and learning how to subdue them, he's winning all the fights, and so she grows to hate him because she, a big part of her identity, is tied up in her prowess in battle. Right. Up to this point, she's kind of, like, of the the tweens, the most capable warrior and, and dragon fighter. Exactly. She's and that's lethal. basically her complete identity. And so he's shattered that for her, and she hates him for it. Mm. And so one day she follows him into the forest and finds out that he has a dragon friend who's captive in this little valley because it can't fly away because it, it's injured and Hiccup still hadn't 
created the Finn um, by that point. And um, she threatens to kill Toothless. And um, who's not completely defenseless, but she's also pretty arrogant. <laughs> she's trying to um, intimidate Hiccup and belittle him for the way he belittled her in the ring. And take something away that he loves because he took away her one passion. Right. And um, She is spiteful. So she is his rival. She's an antagonist in the film for him. Definitely. And he still has a crush on her. And she totally hates him. And then somehow he convinces her not to try to kill Toothless. It's because they like kidnap her and put her on top of a tree. Right. They put her in mortal peril. <laughs> the best way to get the person you're interested in oh, yes. to notice you. She's in mortal peril, and they blackmail her to save her. She has to agree to ride on Toothless's back and not try to kill him. And so she does it so that she won't die. Yep. And so they abduct her and force her to go flying on Toothless's back. And after the end of that, she hits Hiccup. And acknowledges that she knows she was kidnapped. She says to him, like, you kidnapped me. I hit you because of that. And then she fucking kisses him. On the cheek, but nonetheless. And she says that's for everything else because they, like, fucking saw a sunset. (laughs) (laughs) And then she suddenly starts to like him. Yeah, what? But, Chelsea, from this description, it it almost sounds like this movie might have some problematic themes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, think? (laughs) Which is so shocking to me after having just watched this movie. Oh, wait. No, it's not. Because this movie has a really twisted sense of gender identity and, I'd say, an especially toxic brand of masculinity. Well, also a toxic understanding of what romantic relationships are like and how they get started. That too. Yeah. It's it's like a woman, if they say no or they show no interest, oh, they're just playing hard to get. And you need to pursue them even further. And if you can just show them how much you care about them, then they'll be swayed. If you can just get them to ride your dragon. <laughs> so it is belittling of women's autonomy and um which is odd because it seems like this is kind of a society that i mean it has what we would consider like a a strong set of like masculine uh gender identity norms but at the same time i mean female characters are allowed to thrive so long as they fall into this hegemonic normative set of of what we, like again what we'd call like masculine qualities. Yes, mm-hmm. but the creators of this film were American. <laughs> so they're I, you, you don't think they were Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> so their um, biases are making it into the film. Speaking of dragons, uh, our cat Loki is crawling around on our table and looking at us like we owe him tribute. Mm-hmm. Of course we do. <laughs> In defense of Hiccup, he never goes for Astrid. She just kind of keeps making advances on him after he's living his life. He it, he does kidnap Astrid. Yeah, but he that's not great. At no point does he try to make it romantic, though. It just kind of happens, mm, I guess. Not, not great. Not great, but I mean, well, he's the- not the asshole. In that situation. The writers. The writers. (laughs) Um, 
Sure. I think whoever wrote that Astrid kisses Hiccup in that situation. I mean, I'm not sure why every movie decides that it needs to shoehorn in a heteronormative uh, relationship between the main character and another character, but it seems to be pretty much in every film. <laughs> Healthy relationships between anybody don't start out in an antagonistic way. Yeah, it's true. No, they start on the battlefield, right? Well, there you go. Between two mortal enemies. Yep. <laughs> or between a, a kid and the dragon that he yeah. finds in a valley. Yeah. Being um, enemies and starting from a place of hatred is not a good starting point for a relationship, especially a romantic one, that tends to be more intimate. And um, so the trope in a lot of romantic movies or a lot of movies that include a, a romantic subplot are based on an antagonistic relationship um, because there's this misconception in our culture that, that, that the passion one feels for one's rivals or romantic partners are two sides of the same coin and that it's incredibly misguided. It um, is a gross oversimplification of the range of human emotion and the way relationships work. And um, it's trite and a bad form of writing. <laughs> mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah, yeah, that's not great. But yeah, at least, at least it wasn't Hiccup's idea that he saw it and is like, Astrid hates me. That means she must love me. <laughs> at least that that wasn't a. Plot. Well, it's almost more insidious as subtext. Mm-hmm. It is, especially yeah, it's unintentional. Well, let's talk a little bit about. Um, how this movie views masculinity and what makes somebody a worthwhile and contributing member of their society. They gotta kill dragons. Killing dragons seems to be like the bare minimum bar of entry to being a contributing member of society. I mean, Hiccup is a blacksmith's apprentice, and he basically has no status. Even making weapons and tools for a community of warriors... Presumably farmers and fishers and and uh, sailors, and he still has basically no value until he's killed a dragon. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's kind of more about passage into adulthood because both males and females in their culture kind of kill dragons. So, yeah, I guess that's an interesting point. Is <laughs> I keep saying masculinity, but does this culture, as portrayed in the film, even have a masculinity? Because everyone is just kind of expected to to do the same thing. Like, we're not really seeing... It, it, so far in this movie, at least, we don't see any real gender roles. Yeah, they even wear women's clothes. Not in a... I mean, in a comedic way. What do you mean? They wear their mother's... They wear Hiccup's mom's breastplate as a helmet. Well, that's more of a practical application. Sure. Um, in uh, accidental cross-dressing then, but there it is. Yeah. So let's quickly finish talking about Hiccup before we move on at all. Oh, you said it with perfect pronunciation. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to say, yeah, uh, some of the traits that they viewed him for being weak were traits like uh, ingenuity, mm-hmm. creativity, compassion. Mm-hmm. Sympathy. Yeah, sympathy. Uh, yeah, all these things. Uh God, what a loser. Trying to make up for his weaknesses <laughs> creatively. Um, all the things that would make him a um, com- 
passionate and capable adult today. Yeah, in it's our, true. In our society. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's hey, true. it's kind of like that show, The North, The Northman. Mm-hmm. Where like the the character who is the most or the characters who are the most modern like types of people who would be the most relatable today are the ones that you are kind of like made to dislike the most in the context of the show and all the kind of loutish brutes are the ones that you're kind of uh, you know acclimated to and cheering for. Yeah, it's just like that. Yeah, but what you know what makes Hiccup unique, I think, is yeah. This crazy invention he made, this, like, huge ballista that fires Ebola, he he actually manages to hit a Night Fury, the most elusive dragon that's recorded. Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, Toothless can fly like a like a cannon shot, and he's able to, and Hiccup's able to nail him with that Bolo cannon. Yeah, he actually, he, something he made works against the most lethal dragon. Hiccup's inventions seem to universally be good. Yeah, exactly. He's able to draw, like, the the tail um, feather, the tail... uh, Flipper. The tail flipper for Hiccup, and it works, like, after two tries, right? Like, the first one isn't quite right, the second one nails it. Yeah, and then he actually forges it in, like, one night and applies it to Toothless, (laughs) and Toothless can fly with it. it. Yeah, calms him enough. Also, the second he meets Toothless, he doesn't kill Toothless because he saw the fear in his in the dragon's eye, and he related to how scared it was. Yeah, which is a really nice, heartwarming thing for him to do. <laughs> I think. I think Hiccup has a lot of really good qualities. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And uh, yeah, and he also feels bad about hurting the dragon, so you know yeah. he's actually trying to ma- make it able to fly again. Yeah, he's making amends. He's creative and compassionate. He no feeds one, it. no yeah. wonder we're supposed to hate him so much. Exactly. <laughs> he's just so skinny. What the fuck? <laughs> what a weak coward who doesn't want to fight. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like his redemption arc. He mm. makes a major mistake. Well, I mean, okay, so in the context of his actions, it's not even a mistake, right? He, The village is being attacked by dragons. Bad. That's not great for the, yeah. for the for the now. But as we unfold the movie, we see why the dragons yeah. are having to pay tribute to the fat cat dragon. And yes. if they don't bring tribute, they will die. Right. Yeah, it's true. So it's understandable that they are going to raid villages to get food yeah. so that they can eat and then not get eaten mm-hmm. by this other dragon. Yeah, so and Hiccup is the one that kills the big dragon. Too. <laughs> he and Toothless, they fucking kill that thing. Yeah, maybe mixed messages here of compassion until you fight a beast that you can't have, you know, that you can't uh, like build sympathy with, and you just have to blow it up with a nuclear explosion. Yeah. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, I meant to say, he doesn't view it with pride. He kind of views it as, like, this massive, you know, bad thing he's done. He's right. ashamed of it. Yeah, yeah, he's ashamed of it. Which Hiccup nice. also seems to hate his culture. Yeah. yeah. He's, kind of a, he's kind of a typical teenager in that regard, I guess. I guess that's He's pretty true. angsty about his upbringing and about yeah. how, and, you know, the other jockier kids are a lot more comfortable with kind of the normative values and behaviors, but he's mm. questioning them a lot more. Yeah. When he is accepted to, com- like, do the champion 
task of the dragon training, which is killing a nightmare, which is a type of dragon. Uh, he is gonna run away and just leave town forever rather than killing one dragon. He packs up and he's telling Toothless, this is when Astrid follows him, like, we're just gonna go forever because I'm not gonna do it. Right, oh, yeah, he's yeah. ready to leave home, leave his culture. Yeah. So that actually kind of um, leads to another question I wanted to ask you guys. Is this movie a metaphor for being a queer teenager? Um, I kind of, I was definitely picking up on the subtext like yeah it's it's his relationship with stoic especially there it goes along with um the subplot i saw of like resisting conformity or having a a lifestyle that's unconventional for the culture you're in right and then that culture has to struggle with the you know with its outside quote-unquote outsiders or the people who don't fall into its norms how are they going to respond to them? Yeah. So I think that it could be a stand-in metaphor for anybody who doesn't fit into the, like, norm. Sure. Totally. Yeah. Quote-unquote norm. Yeah. No, I, I see your point. I think the scene that really did it for me was the secret between Stoic and and Hiccup. Later on, in the scene where Stoic gives Hiccup his mother's breastplate to wear as a helmet... Um, which was a pretty funny gag. Yeah, pretty yeah. nice moment. Um, but, you know, the, there's this kind of miscommunication between them where Stoic says, I know your secret. Yeah. And he thinks it's that, you know, uh, Hiccup is, is... A dragon killer. A dragon killer. And Hiccup is obviously... It's the exact opposite of that, right? But there's He's this a kind dragon of... lover. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, yeah, that's yeah. where I kind of got this subtext about kind of like the experience of a lot of I mean especially queer teens who mm-hmm. are rejected by their families you know yeah. tragically rejected by their families who don't understand them who have a lot of cultural stigma that that then drive a wedge between them or maybe even lead them to do harmful things like rejecting the their children and even kicking them out yeah in this case hiccup is kind of taking the step to say, I'm going to leave because my father will never accept me for who I am. Right. Yeah. It's it's kind of heartbreaking. Stoic even says to Hiccup in the one scene when he finds out about everything, you're not my son. Yeah, that was brutal. It was. Because Hiccup loves Stoic, even though they don't get along. He's afraid of him, but he really wants him to be proud. Yeah, yeah, they have a complex relationship, and I feel like this movie handles it in... I mean, I, I, by, I, by the end, everything is cleared up, and everyone's happily ever after. Stoic lets the dragons move in. <laughs> Which is a nice ending, but well, not necessarily a, a realistic one. He gets the chance to apologize to Hiccup for not and understanding the toothless, right? him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's nice that the character of Stoic is able to grow, Yes, mm-hmm. unlike many... Parents of children who are, you know, outside of the the culturally acceptable standards. Well, sure. he couldn't listen to Hiccup. Hiccup tried to tell him not to take the warships to the island to go after right. the big dragon because it was so big it would kill them all. Right. His dad didn't listen to him. No. When he actually saw it, he realized his son was trying to save him. Right. And I think that's what swayed his mind finally. <laughs> That his even though he rejected his son, his son was his son was still trying to save him and cared enough to try to 
protect him. Yeah. Right. And it's stoic that saves Toothless, because Toothless is drowning in the water. Yeah. Because right. he's still chained up. Stoic chained him up. But Stoic is also the only one who goes down and breaks the chains. With and helps his him bare hands. Yeah, he's very big. He's like the biggest one in the village. <laughs> That's why he's the chief. And his name is The Vast. Yeah. Because yeah. he's he's like Kingpin from Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, yeah. Just yeah, pure yeah. brick shit. Wilson Fisk in, in any of the Marvel. Yeah, he kind yeah. of is like that. He's just a square. Comics. Yeah, very square shaped. He is, he is huge. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I don't. Do we have a villain with enough motivation to answer the question if they're evil, stupid, or misunderstood? Uh, I mean, I, I, the fat cat dragon, I guess, is the main villain of this. Yeah. Who I guess is pretty evil. Yeah, just straight <laughs> up evil. <laughs> just like simply evil. Yeah, I, I don't know if I would like. I, I think I would just call it it. Just an animal. Yeah. Like it's just like a like a kind of an amorphous blob of of just Violence. wrath and and hunger. Yeah, it does. Like it doesn't seem to be as intelligent as any other dragon. It just seems to be an animal. No, well, I mean, it's just it's so used to living this plush one percent life that it doesn't need to use its brain anymore. It don't need to be smart because it's big. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, I guess I could say stoic is probably maybe one an antagonist. Yeah, for yeah part of the film at least. That's fair. I mean, I think I'd say probably stupid just because. <laughs> Because he, cause he refuses to, to uh, accept his son for who He's he is. He's being yeah. stupid. Yeah, that. that's what I'm saying. I don't think Stoic is stupid. No. 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 He's, yeah, he's relying on what he's been like taught rather than the reality of the situation. He's, he's not questioning the status quo. He's giving in to groupthink. Right. Yeah. He's rejecting his child, who he clearly loves. In a, in a callback to your queer teen thing, uh, yeah, Stoic when he's talking to when he's talking to his friend about Hiccup, he's talking about how he's tried to raise Hiccup the way that his dad raised him. Right. So he's passing on these bad habits. Yeah, exactly. We're trying right. to pass on these bad yeah. habits. I think yeah, that was one of the themes that kind of stood out to me in the movie was kind of this. Tradition and then the rejection of tradition. Right. Yeah. Which betters their society, I think. Generally. Yeah, I mean, like all societies, they're stronger together with dragons. Yeah, and it's true. Is, Every society is stronger together with dragons. With dragons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this is a common theme um, in um, generational films like this. Right. Where you show, like, the passing of the torch and kind of struggles between generations. Oh, yes. And before we move on, I'd like to mention one last struggle between the generations, which should have been in the Delve, I suppose. But it has to be said, every adult in the movie has a Scottish accent. And all the tweens have American accents. Yes. What does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? Also, it's disconcerting. A bit of a spoiler, but you get to see a third generation in the third movie, and let me tell Pick you. Pick up and Toothless have a kid? Maybe. Not too far off. But the third generation has Scottish accents again. Wow. So they're cyclical. Yeah, they're even. Well, they skip a generation. Yeah, it does skip a yeah, generation. Skip a generation. Accents skip a generation. That's cursed. Yeah, it is. 
It is. And or is parents it, have American accents. Or is the is the is the new generation like a hipster generation? Like they like see like Yes the, actually like they're kinda like going back to like it's like when you like buy a pair of plaid <laughs> pants like your grandpa would wear. <laughs> yes, dude. Yeah, they, they talk to their parents and they're like Mom, Dad, I want to kill dragons. And they're like, what? No, you have to save dragons. And then the kids are like, okay, Boomer. That's what it is. Oh, God. Meanwhile, they relate more to their grandparents, and they'll listen to their uh, record players and uh, and dance in the... um, What's an old-timey dance? The Charleston? Yeah, the Charleston. The bee's knees. (laughs) That's the bee's knees, exactly. Yep. But, yeah, anyway, there you go. The accents. I don't know what it means, but it's there. (laughs) It means something. I don't know what it means. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, I guess it's time to give this movie the old rating of approval. So I'm going to ask everyone in the room to list an epic moment from the movie or an epic feature and to rate it in 1 to 10 Viking swords. Chelsea, you want to go first? Sure. I would say an epic moment of the film is when the um, Night Fury, Toothless, and Hiccup first meet, and they're both kind of going to attack each other in different moments, and they don't do it because they realize that they have a lot in common and that they're more united than they are separate. We're we're not so different, you and I. Mm -hmm. And they have empathy for each other. And I thought that was an epic moment. Nice. Um, I know I talked a lot of shit about the movie, but it was actually (laughs) really enjoyable. And we like to make fun of these films as we're watching them and kind of just joke around. Riffing, as it were. Exactly. And there were big portions of this movie that we were just silent because we were so engrossed because it was actually a really good movie. <laughs> yeah, we were watching with our friend Sully, and we normally watch, you know, all the other types of movies, and, and mm. uh, there, were some, there were some silent moments for sure that we were just engrossed. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to give this 7 out of 10 Viking Swords. A respectable rating. Yeah. It's a good rating and honest. Yes. <laughs> Jack, your epic moment or feature, and your rating. One thing that I thought was pretty epic was the scale of the dragon's hunt, oh. right? When when we're seeing the dragons tossing their offerings of food into the pit where the big dragon is, we're seeing a lot of hammerhead sharks being tossed in there. Oh, yeah. I'm Talk just about saying, that. Yes, I will. Vikings, right, are from very cold places, right? Hammer, hammerhead sharks... They're from tropical oceans. I'm just saying, those dragons fly pretty far. They get up pretty early in the morning to go get those sharks. Yeah. Yeah, Burke? I don't think it's close to the equator, just saying. No. Yeah, yeah. So, I I thought that was pretty epic. (laughs) I think I saw this movie in theaters when it came out. I like it a lot. Uh, In later movies, I think Hiccup and Astrid's relationship gets cute and more organic but in this one i didn't like the way it happened so that'll miss a few points and uh but in general i think i'm also gonna give it a seven because i like it so much i think it's it tries to be a wholesome movie and that's what i like to look at when i see it so seven swords out of ten swords nice nice 
I think my epic moment <laughs> or feature is uh, is got to be Gobber's variety of hands. Uh, yes, he has, he has a functional tong hand. Yeah, Gobber is the is the Viking character who is missing a variety of limbs and body parts. Uh, who is also Hiccup's boss? The, oh, the, the head blacksmith. blacksmith. Yes, um, he's got like a peg leg and a missing hand with uh, different attachments and a stone tooth. A <laughs> uh, very prominent stone tooth. But yeah, in the beginning, he's like doing some some blacksmithing. And he's got a functioning tong, pair of tongs for a hand. I was like, that's awesome. What a great Yeah. What a great useful invention. And I you know, you got the figure that uh, he either built that himself or that hiccup designed it for him. Yeah. But so I'm gonna go ahead and and meet you guys right there at seven. Seven out of ten swords sounds like a good solid rating. It's a fun movie, it's cute, there's some Really exciting moments and some nice heartfelt story. Yeah, there's some flaws, but I'm comfortable giving it this score. Mm-hmm. Nice. So nice. I'm going to stick to it. Well, on that note, I guess it's time to head to the bounty board. Who's on the board this week? <laughs> a bounty this week? Uh, reassess your biases, you know? Yeah, yeah. Maybe that scary dragon is a friend in disguise. Or maybe it's going to eat your face. Yeah, but think about it before <laughs> you die. That's fair. That's a good bounty. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Again. How much gold is that worth? That's worth, uh, that's worth ten gold pieces and an electrum. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. It's like getting a $2 bill. Yeah, it is. And I'm going to suggest that everybody out there try to cast a magic spell. Why not? What what can go wrong? Yeah, yeah. Just give it a shot. Make sure it's a good spell so it doesn't go wrong. Good point. (laughs) I mean, we play Dungeons and Dragons, and that summons demons all the time. We're nerds. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it summons nerds. (laughs) <laughs> it does. It works really well. So I guess really my bounty is just play some D and D. Yeah, nice. what a good bounty. Well, on that note, I guess it's time for us to rewrite history. This is the part where we discuss ideas based on the movie we just watched for a sequel, a reboot, or a spinoff. And since this movie already has multiple sequels and spinoffs, <laughs> I think yep. we should. Ignore those and go in our own direction. And Chelsea has a look that tells me that she has got a big idea. I want to go into the darkest timeline that we preempted before, where in our version, instead of the happy ending we got, we have the uh, the movie that ends with Hiccup having died, and they don't even have his body to mourn with. Oh, brutal. He was cremated in nuclear fire. Yeah, and Toothless is just holding on to that piece of wood and we fade to black with the edgy violin music as Toothless and Stoic are staring at each other in horror and immense sadness. Oh man, I have so many questions about what happens. Okay, go. So What happens? <laughs> this we're gonna create a sequel to that moment. So the darkest timeline. How to train your darkest dragon. 
how to tame your darkest timeline. Oh, <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> Toothless is trying to comfort Stoic, uh, who's grieving, and then Stoic starts imprinting on Toothless like he's the reincarnation of Hiccup. Because oh, he sees wow. their similar personality traits. And okay. um, Toothless can't bring himself to let go of that piece of wood. Because he, oh. for, so, for so long, while they were while he was laying there recovering, he thought he was cradling Hiccup. So he brings it back to the village, and Gobber carves it in the likeness of Hiccup. Yeah, oh, that's nice. So they put and it they in the saddle? It, they have it up in the um, <laughs> village as a memorial. Oh, okay. Oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. does Gobber create a functional tail uh, feather device for... Uh, Toothless that doesn't require hiccups uh, manipulation. Yeah, uh, you hope it, it's so. um. It could Spring easily loaded. be based on the mechanism of Toothless opening up his main set of wings would open up his tail feather. Yeah, that could work. And when he cl- like just on a like with a pulley system. Okay. So attached to the dragon's spine and tail. So and his wing. So he opens the wing. It opens the tail feather or the the thing yeah. and he closes it and it closes it so he can land so he doesn't need hiccup <laughs> yeah <laughs> the the one uh function that hiccup oh. and we, can have, we can have some montages of him like training flying low and then eventually learning how to use it on his own it's true and there's a, a reference uh, you know, a callback scene to the first movie there's a scene where hiccup is drawing toothless in the dirt with a stick and Toothless just draws a huge squiggly line as his art in response. But in this darker timeline, in the second movie, he's practiced drawing Hiccup over and over again in the grounds. Oh, <laughs> a man. memory of his lost friend. Guys, this is dark. This it's is the darkest sad. timeline. Until he becomes like an expert artist. Yes, it's true. And then Stoic sees... You know, he's like, oh, you can even draw my son. You've brought back so many memories. (laughs) And then he falls in love with Toothless (laughs) as a son, as a son figure. Well, at least their proportions are closer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he adopts Toothless as part of the clan. Yes. (laughs) Nice. I would have imagined some some conflict, but I guess the imprinting idea is is good. So what is our conflict for this? Oh, uh, Reboot sequel? Well, no more war against dragons, right? So, war against humans while they're using dragons, right? No, so it's just real Viking history, but instead of Drakars or dragon ships, they're just riding dragons. Yeah. Yeah, and so other Viking groups are probably trying to make war with uh, Stoics people. Because they don't trust that they've befriended dragons, and they actually are trying to kill the dragons that are their friends. And they have to work together with the dragons again to save their village. They have Uh. to come up with a crafty plan to fight the other humans. I think you'll like the second (laughs) (laughs) one. Oh, no. So, so who do we cast as uh, as the the head chieftain of the rival Viking clan? Maybe. My my go to answer is Mads Mikkelsen. But oh, that's perfect. No, 
Look no further. But I, I mean, I there think I, it might break reality to and have an actual... And one of his eyes will be fucked up. <laughs> because always, Mad, one of Mad's eyes as his characters is always fucked up. I, it, no, but I, I worry that it's too on the nose <laughs> to have an actual Scandinavian uh, <laughs> actor playing one of the Vikings. I'm a big fan of it, but I really want... What about, like, uh, Billy Conley? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I was wondering, like maybe the uh, maybe the rival Vikings would have an Irish would have like Irish accents or something. Either maybe that'd be another option. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Saoirse Rowan, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I really. The, yo, that. that'd be cool. Yeah, have have like the the uh, female Viking chieftain be the rival. Like, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. The, they need one uh, of those yeah, too. Yeah. 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 That's good. You know, I think I and it's just something I'd love to see in the spinoff. The training, the dragon training, goes yeah. even further. Yes, right, right, right. Yes, yeah. and Stoic trains Toothless to talk. Oh, wait, God. just wait. And the second Toothless opens his mouth to speak, there's a dramatic zoom in where everyone is waiting to see his first public words, and then Ron Perlman's voice rolls Whoa. thunderously out. Oh, I love it. Oh, yeah. You didn't expect his voice to sound like that. So dreamy. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yes. I am 100% on board nice. with this. I didn't know Toothless was so grizzled. But, you know, this it is makes the sense. dark timeline. Well, I mean, plus, I mean, we don't know how old Toothless is. Toothless could be, like, you know, like, midi- middle age or older. That's true. We don't yeah. know. We don't. We probably assume that Toothless is more in, like, the dragon equivalent age set of, like, a, a hiccup, but he could be it's much true. older. He hasn't unlocked all his physical capabilities in the first move. Oh, you know, wow. he levels up. But, oh. Yeah, yeah. Well, you should always be trying to level up. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I think we've got a good film here. Um, well, I'm ready to call up DreamWorks, so we should get this, uh, we should get this on the docket. Yeah. On that note... It's time for our side quests, where we talk about some other fantasy fiction that we've been enjoying recently. I'll go first, because I've been playing one of my favorite video games, Darkest Dungeon. If you haven't played Darkest Dungeon, you should play it, because it's a really cool video game. It's uh, it's a dungeon delver that actually deals with, besides um, injury and, and physical harm, deals with the stress and trauma associated with adventuring on the psyche Mm. and uh i actually have a tattoo of the logo for the game on the back of my head wow (laughs) that's how much i love this game uh it's really one of my favorite video games great rpg you're like uh building a kind of a, a village and you go on these dungeon delves with interesting character classes like they all have like more interesting names like Kind of the traditional barbarian is called a Hellion. There's like cool. a plague doctor and an antiquarian and like a man at arms and a bounty hunter. A lot of really cool stuff in that game. I really suggest it. Um, great art style too. I absolutely love the art style. So hey, Darkest Dungeon. Go play it. There you go. I've been watching, I've been binging Whoa. this show on Netflix called Bitten. Oh, it's a Canadian werewolf soap opera, basically. Oh, I'm gonna bite you. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically the the upshoot of the show. Nice. Yeah, and um, a lot of problems in werewolf paradise. <laughs> and the oh man, that was a much better title for the show. <laughs> problems in werewolf paradise. I would yeah. love that. Um, great. 
Problems in Weradice. And spoilers, there's magic in the show. What? Magic in a show with werewolves? I'm offended. No, I actually was like preempting it. Uh, I was just thinking, you know, if there are werewolves in this setting, it would be kind of neat if there were magic too. I wonder if they're going to start bringing that in. And like in the very next scene, there was some kind of magic thing happening. You're like a magomancer. Yeah. So, um... I won't say what, because if you're going to go watch the show, I want to leave that as a surprise, but just a little, just to, like, tantalize you a little bit, you know. And if you're into toned man ass, this is definitely the show for you. So much ass. Just a lot of ass. There's There's, a lot of sex in the show. There's something satisfying. Like, in the best way. It is so trash. It's werewolf trash. Yeah. And I love it. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. I usually am playing a video game while Chelsea's watching it, and <laughs> it is sometimes hard to look away from just the sheer insanity of the show. All yep. those felt werewolf bodies. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'll recommend Anansi Boys by Neil Gaiman. Anansi the really? Spider from West African Folklore is the father of the main two brothers. And it's just kind of an odd couple story with magical powers, uh, African folklore, London, you know, the Caribbean, Florida. All all of our favorite things. And Florida. And Florida, (laughs) which adds the spice. But, uh, you know, it's it's a good read. And there's a good Spotify playlist, which has all the music from the book. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. So you can listen along. I like stories about siblings. Yeah. Yeah. I always always find them interesting. Cool. cool. Well, then on that note, I guess it's time to wrap things up here at the old Sword Central. Mm-hmm. We'd like to thank you all for tuning in and laughing along and hopefully thinking along with uh, our show. Yeah. Yeah. If you enjoyed this, please, please, please uh, hop on over to iTunes and give us a rating and some some stars, preferably five of them. If you liked it, if but you, you know, give it an honest rating, but a fair one. If you want to see what we watched that week, you can look us up on Instagram or Facebook, and you'll also have the bonus of seeing some great memes about the movies we watched. Oh, just outstanding memes. The guy who makes those is really top notch. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I like him. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, until next time. Hail, Hail Cross. Cross.